Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? There's this comedian whose podcast helped me immensely during a tough time in my life. Not that it offered advice or anything like that, but basically just listening to it got me out of obsessing over my own problems. Anyway, I learned that he was going to perform in Bloomington, Indiana, and so a friend and I went. Afterward, we joined a line of people to get our picture taken with him. And there was so much I wanted to say. And, and I wanted to say something funny. I wanted him to like me, to tell me he'd love to hang out next time he was in town. And as I was standing there waiting, I'm thinking, okay, okay, what would he really appreciate? And I, I realized he would really appreciate someone not wanting something from him, not heaping all these expectations on him. Someone who would express appreciation for the work he does, take a photo, and then let the next person in line get their turn. But then I thought of something really funny to say. Something I was sure would make us best friends. And, well, I was right. So, without further ado, let me introduce my new best friend. Just kidding. Actually, I don't know if he found what I said funny. Uh, he smiled, but that may have been because we were about to take a picture, and it would enable us to move along. But let's next person in line through. Anyway, I mentioned all that because in the chapters leading up to our reading this morning, Luke makes clear that the word about Jesus is out. Chapter 10 describes Jesus getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Well, okay, but the fact is everywhere he goes at this point, there is a mob scene. And everybody wants something 
from this celebrity. Everybody, including the Pharisees. In fact, one of them invites him over for dinner. And to be clear, that's a real honor. Pharisees do not take table fellowship lightly. If this Pharisee invites you to, I mean, it's an honor. And, and now, it's not that he didn't see, he probably saw himself getting something out of this too, given that Jesus was like him, a spiritual leader, and Jesus had all this popularity. That was an opportunity to build some alliances, scratch one another's backs. But if that was his hope, he is sorely mistaken because Jesus just uses the opportunity to just lay into the Pharisees, calls them a bunch of fakes. Woe to you Pharisees, he says over and over again. Well, there's a teacher of the law in attendance, and he suggests Jesus tone it down a bit because after all, it almost sounds like you're insulting us too. I'm sorry, says Jesus. You thought those insults directed at the Pharisees insulted you by implication? My mistake. Here, allow me to insult you directly. And then off he goes. Instead of woe to you Pharisees, it's woe to you teachers of the law. You know, and in Luke, it is this moment where the religious leaders start to plot against him. They would love, of course, to lay into him the way he did to them, but He's a celebrity, so that is not going to work. No one will buy it. You know, in, in fact, maybe the biggest insult of all is the fact that Jesus' rebukes failed to rally the crowd to the, in support of the Pharisees. Now, Jesus' star keeps rising. In fact, Luke says, at this point, people are trampling one another to get to him and hear more. I mean, he's like the Beatles of the first century century Palestinian rabbis. So, no, simply insulting him would make the situ their situation worse. What they needed to do is pose a question he can't answer, or even better, when he does answer really badly. Then, then they could start hurling the, the insults, stuff like, well, 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 that answer was blasphemy and or stupid. Who's the fake now? Now, they may have had a real zinger planned, but in our passage, they aren't the ones to get Jesus' attention and uh, to put the screws to him. No, someone else. Someone else in the crowd does. Luke identifies this someone else in the crowd as someone in the crowd. He's nameless, no identifiable occupation or status, just a dude with a beef against his brother. That's enough to motivate him to fight his way through this mass of humanity. He sees Jesus' celebrity, and he's like, I'm not just going to get a selfie with this guy. I think this guy is going to give me some wisdom that I can use against my dumb brother. And my dumb brother will have to take seriously because it comes from the celebrity spiritual guy, and I'll get what I want. Now, you know, given all this tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and all that, it does demonstrate that this someone in the crowd lacks an ability to read the room. He's apparently so preoccupied with his inheritance business, he just butts right in. That said, in his defense, he's not com coming completely out of left field. This is what you do when you have a situation you can't resolve, whether it's familial or financial, or in this case, both. 
you bring the matter to the rabbi. You may be familiar with Jewish folk tales in which someone does precisely that. So the fact that Mr. in the crowd is handing Jesus a really pretty golden opportunity. It's a chance for Jesus to demonstrate some real practical wisdom. People eat that stuff up, even today. Some of the biggest churches in the country became that way because they downplayed doctrine and doctrinal disputes and focused instead on practical wisdom, messages that were relevant. I was talking to somebody on the staff of Granger Community Church um, who said that every year they do a multi-week series on marriage. Um, I have no idea if that's still the case, but the fact is it certainly was drawing people at the time. Thousands. You know, so you see stuff like five steps to achieving financial security, seven steps to raising godly children, six steps to a deeper faith. And here's Jesus' chance to do it. You know, this is what the people want. And I bet you'd be great at it. You know, four steps to resolving family conflict. I bet you could make the steps real memorable. Maybe, maybe they'd even rhyme or each the letters would uh, form, the first letters would form an acronym. I call this the love method for resolving family disputes. The L stands for language, no name calling or potty mouth, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, whatever, you know, what the Pharisees had wanted from him, Jesus doesn't give. What this uh, someone in the crowd get, wants from him, he doesn't give that either. He doesn't take the bait. He's not that rabbi, or he's not that mega church pastor. Instead, he says, friend, you sent me to be judge or arbiter over you. Not my job. Sorry. What's interesting, of course, is that this is not how conversation ends. Jesus doesn't just move on to the next question. He's not going to arbitrate the dispute or weigh the merits of this someone in the crowd and someone in the crowd's wealthier older brother, but he does have something to say. And what he does say to this person isn't just practical advice. It's an apocalypse. Now, apocalypse is a word associated with the end of the world, Armageddon, zombies, the bark of the beast, and so on. But it just means an unveiling a revealing, a revelation, an event or an insight that causes you to see everything differently. As you know, uh, we recently moved and we've been spending a good deal of time thinking about our yard. What do we want to pull out? What do we want to keep and grow? And on one walk about the yard, we came across this small tree. It barely had a leaf on it that wasn't pockmarked, chewed up by something. Well, we figured that was something we'd have to uproot at some point. You know, other things we didn't know. So Jen contacted a woman who has a nursery that specializes in native plants and invited her to come over and consult. By and large, what she had to say was pretty grim. Our yard is a botanical garden of invasive species. But at one point she saw our little tree with its nibbled leaves, and said, that, that's a healthy tree. I'm like, what? She said, if nothing is eating your plants, they aren't 
part of the ecosystem. You know, she compared this tree to the English ivy that sprawls all over our yard and until recently up the sides of our house. English ivy is an invasive species imported from who knows where, France? Bugs and beasts around here did not evolve over thousands of years learning to find nourishment from its leaves and branches. So it just grows and grows. And the fact that it flourishes is a problem. It's not part of the ecosystem. What we need are more trees like that one that's been munched on. Now, that was not just a bit of information about a small tree and some ground cover. That was an apocalypse. It caused us to see everything in our yard differently. How we evaluate things has changed. What we see as healthy and unhealthy. What we want to grow and what needs to go. Here, Jesus tells a story that while prompted by this individual's concern, does not get into the weeds of that concern. The point of that story does not, is not to offer advice on how to work things out with your brother and secure a larger portion of the inheritance. It's to be an apocalypse, to reframe the whole situation, to put the whole thing in a different light. And it's here where our gospel reading intersects nicely with the passage from Colossians. Paul is talking about the apocalyptic implications of our baptism, of being made alive in Christ. You see everything differently. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, a passage like this has been used to insist that Christians should be concerned, should not be concerned with things like politics or climate change or movies. They would have us believe that the world can be divided between things that are worldly concerns and things that are spiritual concerns. I suppose this interpretation makes sense, but it only makes sense if you completely ignore what Paul took pains to emphasize in the opening chapter. Who is this Christ whom we've been baptized into? He's the one who holds all things together. He's the creator and redeemer of things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible. His resurrection makes him the firstborn of a whole new world. So the apocalyptic perspective i.e. setting our minds on things that are above, is not about what you see and what you ignore. It's about how you see everything. The story Jesus tells is about a man who strikes it rich. It's a bumper crop. And while this expands his wealth, it shrinks his perspective. All he can see is how this harvest is going to serve him. He's like English ivy. He's ready to flourish without doing a thing for the ecosystem. It's all for him. He gives himself some real practical advice. Seven steps to financial security and happiness. Step one, tear down barns. Step two, build bigger barns. Step three, store your abundance in the bigger barns. Step four, tell your soul to relax. Step five, eat. Step six, drink. Step seven, be merry. But he forgot one thing. 
the one step that's critical to the success of all the others. Don't die. You can't build if you die. You the dead don't eat or drink. They don't know how to be merry. They don't know how to have a good time. It's why they don't get invited to parties. And if they do, it's probably a party you don't want to attend. Money has incredible power. You can do so much with it. I know we all say money can buy happiness. We say it all the time. And maybe we say it all the time because we need to remind ourselves because it seems like it can. I mean, it can make your worries just vanish. It can replace those worries with so much that's exciting and entertaining and soothing. Few things have that kind of power. But maybe its greatest power is what it can do to our sense of perspective. So it's, it can become all we see. All we can see is what it can do for us. When that happens, it's not that money has grown so big, and that's why it's all we can see. It's because we have grown small. It shrinks us. It shrinks us. Even as it convinces us, it's making us a big deal, a bigger deal. That, and, and that all this matters so much. It can turn us into an invasive species, a plant that has no meaningful place in the ecosystem thriving while everything else dies, forgetting that there's a gardener with a capital G. When we come to the scriptures and listen to the words of Jesus, it's very easy to be like that someone in the crowd. Very easy to be like me, that comedian, looking for them to fix what we want them to fix. We want Jesus to fix our problem, to get into our world and give us some advice but what we really need is for Jesus to be an apocalypse. I don't mean that we just need a reminder that we are mortal and that we will die. You know, that I'm, at some point we're no longer gonna be a part of this world. That's a tragedy, but it's not the real tragedy. The real tragedy is never having lived, never having known, the world he was opening up and never being, a, a, never having lived in that ecosystem, never, that world he's holding together with his infinite love. That's the real tragedy, missing that. That's why we need him to speak, to open that up for us again, to remind us that he holds together everything in his love. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit.